At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. So you guys hear the nice job ad off the top of the podcast, right? But I'm gonna to explain to you why reviews are so important. And that's what nice job is, is a review platform to put the reviews back in the hands of the customer after you do awesome work to get that five-star review. So the HVAC Know-It-All app, I'm realizing how important reviews are. Uh, the podcast, I'm also realizing that because you can use those good reviews to market to your, your target audience and say, hey, listen, come check out what I'm doing. You can use the bad reviews to get better. Use it as constructive feedback. Don't take it personally. Use it as constructive feedback. That's what a review platform is good for. So you know what you need to work on and what you're doing well. So nice job sends emails, sends text messages back to the customer uh, up to like three times, I believe. And it says, hey, give Jimmy, give John, give Jack, all J's, by the way, (laughs) a review on his work. And then when you do good work, you get a good review. You can use that to show other customers and other potential customers. So that's what nice job is all about. And use the link at the bottom of the podcast notes to receive $50 off a nice job product. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group and up next on the tool review platform from Master is the Yellow Jacket Deluxe Flaring Tool. It's an old school kind of flaring tool that you manually got to twist with your hand. A lot of techs still like using that because that's what they know and that's what they trust and that's what they use. So look for that coming up. Check out master.ca. All right, guys, we got Nate Adams, a.k.a. the House Whisperer from HVAC 2.0 on the podcast. We're going to talk home performance. And if you guys listen and listen carefully and start implementing some of this stuff, if you're in residential, guys, sky's the limit and you can do a lot of good things for a lot of customers and solve a lot of problems. Pay attention, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, man, you ready to talk home performance? HVAC 2.0, Nate the House Whisperer. I got to figure out what that's all about. Because I still don't know. Uh, that story is pretty easy, really. Um, when you tell people anything about home performance, you're like, so it's the science behind how it works. And you can watch people's eyes glaze over instantly. They're just like, I don't care. Now you're going to be talking at me about something that I don't care about for a while. Please go away. Um, and so a house whisperer, I actually, I stole it from a friend of mine named Blake Reed. Um, cause I saw that on his business card. I'm like, Oh, that's really good. Cause that's exactly what we do. I mean, you think about, you know, the horse whisperer, whatever it might be. Um, uh, what's the Caesar guy. I'm trying to think for dogs. The dog, whis- the dog whisperer. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's, it, it's kind of a common 
phrase now Yes, yeah. uh, in, in our society. And in, I mean, what we do, it looks like magic, but it's really just physics applied well. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so you're on the commercial side, so you have the luxury of being able to do things oftentimes better than can happen on the residential side. I mean, residential HVAC wait, wait. is a train wreck. Define better, first of all. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, what do true. you mean? What do you mean um, by that? Well, there's typically higher budgets, and I see. Uh, often, uh, and oftentimes you have a chance to spend a little bit more time and actually figure stuff out. Uh, I mean, like Chris from HVAC R Video is always talking about the big picture. Um, home performance is the big picture for houses. So uh, the easiest way to define it is it, it's it's the the physics of how a house works. And it primarily involves two pieces. You have the HVAC on one side and you have insulation and air sealing on the other. Those are the two primary pieces. Um, Before that, you assume that the building is a good building and it keeps water out. So the assumption is water doesn't come in. Um, But if you use the HVAC and insulation and air sealing well, you can take a house that's a, a moldy mess and make it great. Or you can take a, a house where the upstairs is 15 degrees warmer uh, in the summertime than the first floor, or well, seven or eight Celsius um, <laughs> for your side of the border, um, and you can make the temperatures equal. Or sometimes we can actually drive second floors colder than first uh, by playing with dampers. So you uh, have but- you you have just hit uh, by saying that. I want to ask you. So have when you say that this can be done. Have, have you done this personally with homes? Oh, heck yeah. Oh okay. yes. Yeah. So we, so. we, we, we got to talk about that. Like not right this minute. I don't want to interrupt you, but that is a common problem around here. It's probably a common problem around everywhere, but it's a common problem. Every two story home. Com- common problem in my house. Like you go up in, into the, to the mat, like the, the bedroom at nighttime to go to bed and the downstairs floor is cool. You go upstairs and as, as you, each step you go, you, you feel it getting more humid and, 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 and warmer. And then you get to the, to the back of my house where my bedroom is. And it's friggin' it's not a sauna, but it's not as cool as it should be. Not nearly yes. as cool as it should be. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit later on. So continue with what you were saying there about, about the, uh, the house and the insulation and everything. Go. Well, so it, it I mean, it's honestly kind of a good time to make a turn towards what you're asking about. Okay. Um, uh, so like the second floor of a house, um, if, if a space in the summertime is warmer, uh, than the space below, what does that fundamentally mean? What's the big piece of physics that's happening? If repeat that one more time for me, if the space. So, so if the second floor is 10 degrees warmer than the first, yeah. Yeah. what is the fundamental thing in the physics that's going on? Heat's rising. That's one piece. Okay. Um, uh, but the fundamentally, the issue is either there's not enough uh, heat being removed by the air conditioner, yeah, or there's too much heat getting in. Infiltration, yeah, yeah, uh, or both. Okay. So, if you want to figure out how to solve a problem, you really have to test the house to figure out which side of the puzzle or both are involved. Um, so like if a space is really leaky and it takes twice as many BTUs per square foot to cool it, then another space like, you know, a room over a garage is a classic one. 
um, uh, that's usually more of a heating problem than a cooling problem, but uh, or any like a space that might be over a, a crawl space that's vented. Uh, like there's a lot of kind of common places where you have heating and cooling problems. Mm-hmm. So if a space takes twice the heat or twice the cool to keep it comfortable, that means you need twice the airflow to get it done. And typically houses aren't designed with one room getting double the airflow per square foot um, or square meter than the others are. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, so you have to understand uh, is that room indeed leaky? So there's, you know, the heat or the cool is escaping too quickly, uh, or do you not have enough airflow to deliver BTUs there in the first place? Or it could be a combination of both. Yep, or both. Yeah. Um, so it, it takes some diagnostics to figure that out. It's not necessarily a ton, but it, it's a couple hours work. Um, it's not nothing, but it's not, you know, weeks of work to figure stuff out. Okay. So let's um, go through, let's go through a, a simple case where that in the past you have seen and rectified the problem, like start to finish <laughs> what, what we did and, and what we did to, to fix it. Okay. So th- let's just take a standard two-story colonial. Um, so, you know, flat attic upstairs, you know, flat ceiling, eight foot, something like that. Um, eight foot or nine foot ceilings downstairs. So pretty standard, you know, 1980 or newer new construction home. Okay. Um, so keep that in your mind. Now, uh, houses don't have to be crazy leaky to still be kind of screwed up. Um, so the, the rule of thumb that we run in HVAC 2.0 is, um, so the, the unit on a blower door is a CFM 50. It's cubic feet per minute at 50 pascals. Um, I just, I oftentimes just call it points, um, because it's basically the same as long as we're talking about the same thing. Um, but so say you have, uh, we have, a th- this house is 2000 square feet. So a thousand downstairs, a thousand upstairs. Okay. And it has, uh, a 2000 blower door. So it's one-to-one CFM 50 to square feet. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, now you want to know that's not necessarily all that bad. So we usually find around one-to-one houses become controllable with HVAC alone, um, all things being equal. So like considering there isn't one room that's super leaky, um, you know, that's effectively like having a window open in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically you're going to find the ceiling of the second floor is leaky and it's, it's little stuff. Like you expect it to be like some big gaping hole. Sometimes you get something like plumbing stacks are a classic one. It's, you know, it's a square hole with a round thing in the middle of it. Um, yeah. It doesn't seal, <laughs> you know, duh. Um, B vents do the same thing. Uh, you know, whatever the flu might be uh, sometimes around chimneys are horrible. Sometimes they're not bad. Um, but the things that end up really killing you are the top plates of the walls. So picture you've got a hallway down the middle of the second floor. Mm-hmm. So you've got two walls on either side. Okay. And then on the top of that wall, you've got the top plate. And then you've got the drywall screwed to either side of that stud. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so the little gap in between where the drywall touches the wood is a leak where oftentimes air can sneak from the basement all the way up through the wall and then into there. Um, otherwise it can just be through outlets and light switches, things like that. So these are very small leaks. So of that 2000 points, if we seal the attic, it might only be three, four, 500 of it. But if we can seal that, 
um, it's kind of like, I mean, all, all of us as kids would, you know, we'd have a, a glass of water or pop or soda or whatever you call it. And you put your thumb over a straw um, or you put, you put the, the straw down into the drink. You put your thumb over the top and you pull it out and, you know, the water, yeah. the, the pop stays inside. Yeah. Um, that's what we're kind of trying to do to houses. If we can seal either the top or the bottom of the straw of a house or preferably both. Um, we can stop the the air from moving through it, rising through it. So the heat rises that you talked about earlier, um, it's it's technically warm air rises. And we can oftentimes more or less stop that effect in a house by sealing the attic. So what you do is on those top plates where you've got, you know, your uh, uh, th- this drywall going down either side, you can spray foam the top of that joint. So you seal it all the way across. And then the really tricky one is on the outside where you've got the roof coming down over the exterior top plates. Those ones are hard. So you can get where the drywall is on one side, but then you have to get where the sheathing is touching the top plate on the other side. And that's really hard to get. Um, That's where we found a healthy amount of spray foam is really the only way to do a good job on that. Okay. Um, without totally killing yourself. It just, I'm sure there's other ways, but I don't have the patience to do them, <laughs> which, mean, which means a lot so of other like, people aren't going to have the patience. Just like a can of spray foam is what you're talking about? Um, well, this is typically going to be two part. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, think Mike Holmes with the purple stuff that he comes oh, out with. Okay. Uh, so you can do it with the kits that you buy that look like propane tanks. All right. But usually you're going to be working with a pro and, uh, uh, they're going to show up with a, a truck with a, the rig in the back. So gotcha. it'd be a foam rig right. is usually okay. what you're using. So, All right. I just, um, just want to clarify for every for me in the audience, when you say spray foam, that you're not talking about a can, you're talking about the actual professional sprayed, spray-in stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is two-part uh, spray foam uh, as opposed to one part. So one part's like a can of great stuff, you know, 12, 16, 24 ounces. You know, sometimes you'll screw one onto a gun. Um, that's single component foam single part and that actually cures with the moisture in the air Um, where two-part foam it's a catalytic reaction so you mix two chemicals chemicals together and you get a third chemical Um, it's polyisocyanurate foam Um, big long word but just two-part spray foam so anyway uh, we we have this two-story colonial and now we have pulled all the insulation out of the attic and we've spray foamed all the little places where air can leak Now, if we put the insulation back and we don't touch the HVAC at all, the second floor is going to be marginally better than it was before. So maybe instead of a 10 degree bump walking upstairs, now it's a five. Okay. Um, And maybe it's down to nothing if there's actually enough airflow to the second floor. But uh, pretty consistently, we find second floors are a little light on airflow. So in that case, you go to the basement or the crawl space or wherever you can hopefully adjust the dampers. And you start choking the first floor dampers so that you force more air upstairs. And by doing that, you can almost always equalize the temperature. And you can, just as if you do the insulation and air sealing well, you can knock, say, five degrees out of that 10 degree difference. Sometimes by playing with dampers, you can also knock out five degrees of that 10 degree damper uh, or difference. Um, with the big problem being most residential systems have very high static pressures. You know, it's, it, I, I got my hands on a pretty nice data set. It's 800 homes all over the U.S. And uh, 70% of them were over half an inch of water column. 
which is manufacturer spec for almost everyone. Yeah. Um, 47% were upwards of 0.7, which is where the danger zone for ECMs starts yeah. coming. Yeah. Um, like it's not like for sure it's going to die, but it might. Um, and then, you know, you hit an inch and it's like you, you just took at least five years off that 15 year motor life, maybe yeah. 10. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you, you can't just play with dampers in most cases because most systems you're going to go in and it's already going to be at 0.8 or 0.9. You can't choke dampers. That's what I was going to um, say. Choking dampers. Like what, what, what else are we going to cause when we start doing that? Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. really dangerous. So that's where you really get into the house whispering side. Um, and this is where we like heat pumps. And so people think we're crazy. I'm big on electrification. I mean, I'm wearing an electrify everything shirt. It's kind of my uh, uniform in the wintertime. Um, well, in the summertime too. Um, but I mean, what, what is residentially the smallest commonly available, let's call let's say modulating so that I specify it. What's the smallest commonly available modulating furnace? The smallest? Well, I, t- to be honest, I'm not really sure because I don't do any residential work. So ah, just, I, okay. I, I don't know what the smallest modulating furnace would be. It's five tons, 60,000 BTUs. Um, the largest um, residential heat pump is also five tons or 60,000 BTUs. Um, what we find is like, so I, I, I've, I've moved now. I live in West Virginia, but I'm from Cleveland, which is climate zone five. You know, it's, we're, we're not that far from, uh, Canada. I'm, I'm 70 miles from, well, I, I was, I was going to say, you, you said three things that made me feel like you were part Canadian. You said pop, you said drywall <laughs> and you said Mike Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it ain't far. <laughs> usually, usually when I talk to people from the U.S., it's not drywall. It's um, oh, geez, what's the word? Wallboard? Uh, no, not wallboard. But usually, it's soda. It's not pop. And drywall yeah. is not drywall. It is. Oh my god, I can't. The name is defeating me right now. I'll, I may, might think of it as you're talking. Bl- blurt it out in a little bit. It'll it'll hit you. Yeah, um, those ones get stuck. Uh, so climate zone five is fairly cold. So when I tell people that heat pumps work in climate zone five, I usually get looked at like I'm a little bit silly. Um, but when you look at the inverters, they they hold pretty good output down to low temperatures. Like the the carrier green speeds are our favorite one. Um, they'll hold 70 to 80% of full output at uh, five degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which is, I don't know, minus 15 or so Celsius. Um but uh, when you start doing load calculations and you start watching how much equipment is running, mm-hmm. you find pretty consistently that furnaces are too big. So what we found in Cleveland is most homes, if you get them reasonably tight, not amazing, but you know that, that one-to-one ratio, like the 2,000 lower door we were, we're talking about here, yeah. that's oftentimes enough to get the load on a 2,000-square-foot house down to about three tons. So now a furnace is actually the wrong piece of equipment for that house most of the year. If that yeah. makes sense. Because most of the year, yeah. it's not design temperature. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's it's 88 hours a year. It's above or below the design temperature. Uh, so for the most part, you need less output. So if you can downsize the equipment and downsize your airflow needs, what does it do to ductwork that previously was undersized? Yeah, exactly. It's it's not correct anymore. <laughs> well, now it actually is correct. 
is a thing. Um, I mean, if you're running eight tenths of an inch, nine tenths of an inch of, uh, an inch of static, and then you drop your airflow needs, you know, 30, 40, 50%. Now you find your static pressures coming down to 0.3, 0.4 range pretty often. Okay. So you're, you're discussing an oversized furnace with undersized duct and now putting the furnace to the correct size. Now you have the right size duct. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Right size equipment, right. whatever it might uh, be. Okay. Um, and we find that furnaces are almost always too large when we test homes. Interesting. So yeah. that lands us into heat pump range. So like a, a the smallest modulating furnace is 60,000 BTUs. Yeah. And it will drop to about 20,000 output. So they go to about two thirds of full output. Okay. Um, a three ton heat pump that turns down to 25% goes down to 9,000 BTUs. So it's less than half on the bottom, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a big deal, but that lets you match load in most climates about an extra 25 or 30% per year. And matching load is the key to human comfort. Yes, of course. Yeah. You got to, you got to match, match what's coming in and, 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 and what's like, going out. Yeah. What's going out. So yeah, yeah. it makes total sense. So we're big fans of modulating equipment, and then we're big fans of figuring out, can we tighten a house? And if so, how? Um, And we go from there. So in our practice, we did so that my my practice is called uh, Energy Smart Home Performance in Cleveland. So this is where we did all the projects. So uh, if you go to energysmartohio.com, it's been a few years since I put the case studies up, but there are 11 insanely detailed case studies there. Um, I think they're like six or 7,000 words each, um, plus 50 photos. So you can get a pretty good idea of what these deeper projects look like. The problem is most people don't actually want the deeper project because they're probably going to sell the house in five or 10 years. Yeah. Um, so they, they just want the problem rectified as well as they can. And we find that you can blunt a lot of problems with HVAC alone. So it doesn't necessarily fix the problem, but you know, if you can reduce it by 30 or 50%, that may be good enough. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying because there's like people they're going to move eventually. And, and a lot of people don't stay in their homes a long time these days, unless you buy that forever type home. Right. And then you just keep building upon it and investing more into it. But yeah, as far as a customer wanting to throw out tons and tons of tons of cash because it's a little bit cold on the coldest day in one room, there's, there's going to be a, a lot of customers that are not going to pay for that. Right. So like you said, you, you got to sort of find a way to blunt it a little bit rather than the, the full on large scope repair. Yeah. It's, it's not a full solution, but it at least helps. Um, and if you suggest that something will help and that it helps, it, but, that makes them actually more likely in a lot of cases to take another step. But then the problem can be, you have to have an idea of if you fix the house, it does it require a different piece of equipment, which happens pretty often. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not hard to drop the load on a house by one or two tons. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you, you can take a house that's a five ton house, 60,000 BTUs and pull it down to three relatively easily in most cases. Yeah. What? Just by fixing some of the, the like, work, infiltration yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. 
Interesting. Yeah, you seal things up and you you insulate them. Um, and so now if you put uh, like, I mean, the classic thing that you see in manual J is, so like say a manual J comes in at 67,000 BTUs. What's more likely to be installed, a 60,000 or an 80,000 furnace? Say that again. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going tonight. too fast. No, no, that's okay. That's all good. It's just because what I told you with that camera earlier, it was, it was really aggravating me. So say that one more time, please. Still coming back. Thanks. All right. So, <laughs> so say you have a manual J load calculation that comes back at 67,000 BTUs. 67,000 BTUs. Okay. And uh, you have a choice between either a 60,000 BTU furnace or an 80,000 BTU furnace, which is, okay. you know, those are going to be your standard sizes. Um, yeah. Uh, but say those are your only two. What's the most likely that people are going to end up going with? The most likely, I would say, is the larger one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but what we have found, so I use 67 on purpose because one of our client homes had a 67,000 BTU manual J. And we had an Echo B thermostat in it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a good Canadian product for you. Um, and so we could watch runtime on the furnace. He had a 60,000 BTU two-stage furnace, low stage, put out 38,000 BTUs. So manual J is 67, low stage is 38. All right. Um, our design is five Fahrenheit. So again, minus 15-ish um, uh, Celsius, you know, maybe minus 14. Um, when we got to five below Fahrenheit, so they're pushing, you know, 22, 23 uh, below uh, Celsius. Only then did it kick from low stage to high. So 38,000 BTUs carried that house um, well below design, even though Man J said 67. Wow. So if you put an 80,000 BTU furnace in that house, it's going to short just, cycle like a, like a, yeah. like a, like a mother, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> actually after. misapplied. Yeah. It's misapplied. Um, you know, it, I don't know if you've heard that word, but it like, if an engineer tells you that a piece of equipment is misapplied, that's basically like calling your mother a sex worker. Like it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's bad. Um, like it, it, it's basically, uh, oh shoot. What do you call it? It's like reckless driving. Um, you know, it's, it's really a bad thing if you misapply a piece of equipment. Now, but, let me ask you this. What, okay, sorry, F finish that, finish that thought. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Um, so the, the curse can be, if you look at a house and you see a 67,000 man J, um, like we consistently find that you can discount manual J between 30 and 50% and still carry a design day load. Mm-hmm. So if you go to that 80, it's really the wrong piece of equipment. And then if you tighten that house at all and you drop the load, you just made it even worse. So it, you can put one piece of equipment into a house that fits the house today. But if you plan to make any improvements to the house, make it tighter and better insulated, it's very likely to be the wrong piece of equipment tomorrow. Yeah. So why? The question I wanted to ask you is, why are we seeing so much oversized equipment? Is it because people are not doing load calculations at all or because they're misinterpreting them? And, and like you said, they're going with the higher size, even though um, they don't need to. Like, what, what do you think is the biggest issue that's causing this? You're walking right into a hornet's nest. It's awesome. Hey, I, I, <laughs> hey, I, 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 hey we'll, we'll talk about anything.
Exactly. So, uh, well, here, here's the hornet's nest. I, I uh, somewhat jokingly said a couple of years call, ago. Call out some names while you're at it, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I, I somewhat jokingly about two years ago said, if you don't know the blower door number on a house, you I can swing the load calc, the heating load calc on that house, plus or minus 70% with realistic numbers that I've actually seen in houses. So what do you break that down in, in English? What do you mean by, if you know the number of the blower door test, you can swing at 70, 70% either. What do you mean by that? So, uh, um, like if I look at the same house, so let's, let's pick another 2000 square foot house. Okay. If we make that house tight and well insulated, all right, we, we can probably get that house down to a two-ton load, 24,000 BTUs. Mm-hmm. If that house is leaky, it can easily be a 100,000 BTU load. I see what you're saying. Um, now, insulation plays a role in here. There's other things like that. Um, but if you look at that, that's plus or minus 67%. So like the middle of that range is going to be, I don't know, 55,000, 60,000 BTUs, something like that. Um, so if you look at how big of a swing, I mean, it, it's a huge swing, um, from what it can be. And the, the main reason we don't know is almost no one watches runtime. So if there's one thing that listeners take away from this, I would say buy an Ecobee thermostat for your house and then watch the runtime charts on very hot and very cold days and see what happens. The odds are you'll find that your system's oversized and probably by large margin. Because the run times are short. Yes. Yes. I mean, if equipment shuts off on a design day, it's oversized. I mean, that's, that's the definition. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've been in, I've been in like uh, server rooms, for instance, where, it's this little tiny room and it's got this like 30 ton uh, unit in there. And it's literally every time you walk in there, it's got a short cycle alarm because it literally runs for like two minutes and it's actually running at it's, it's got unloaders on it. And it's, it's got four compressors and two unloaders. It's staged down to 25% of what it can actually do, but it's still short cycling. I'm like, who the heck put this thing in here? Um, Most of us in general are chicken. And the way to stop being chicken is to design properly. Well, yeah, but to design properly, you have to understand what reality is. Yeah. Um, So if you watch what happens, so my my good friend Neil Comparetto has has Neil been on the show yet? He hasn't, but he he, um, I was actually talking to him this week about duct test, like duct testing, um, to see how well it's sealed. So. I would love to get him onto the show. Get Neil on. Um, I'll I'll poke him if you need me to. Oh, I don't uh, worry. I'll poke him. He, he's he's good. He's a good guy. I'll get him on. He's he's amazing people. So every we're, time we're, he changes a filter, he says he thinks about me. <laughs> How'd that happen? There's a story there. Yeah, there is. It's because uh, years and years and years ago, when I was in uh, Liebert training, they always used to say that uh, because Lieberts move a ton of air, right? So. They always used to say, I don't know what a Liebert is. A Liebert is a server room air conditioning unit, like a data center air conditioning unit. So basically it's like the Cadillac of, of, of that specific niche. It It can uh, dehumidify. It can cool. Obviously it's got humidifiers in them and 
blah, 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 blah. But they move a ton of air. I think it's like 600 CFM per ton or something like that. So, um, so they always said that the pleats need to go perpendicular to the, uh, the, the, the filter track, like the, the, the rack that it's on. So oh, basically, basically if you were to put, let's say you had a square filter, oh. let's say you had a square filter, right? Yeah. Um, you want to put it in with the pleats vertical instead of horizontal, because if they're horizontal and they get wet or really loaded up, they can actually fold onto themselves. So on social media for a while there, I was just going at it saying, make sure you put your pleats, uh, uh, pleats up, right? And it became a bit of a joke. And then Neil said to me one time, and he's like, every time I change a filter, man, I think of you. <laughs> so anyway, that's the story that's behind great. that. But yeah, I want to get them on as well. Get, get Neil in it. I forget what the story I was going to tell on Neil, but uh, um, uh, it, 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 he's he's a spectacular tech, so definitely have him on. Well, he's he's a fellow home performance nerd too. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, I mean, he works with John Semelhack, who's one of my good buddies as well. Um, and, uh, Neil was also actually, he was the first HVAC 2.0 guy. Um, so we, we developed a bunch of the stuff because he was out there selling stuff and then we had to go backfill like <laughs> right now we got to go develop that tool because you just went out there and, and sold it. Um, so, uh, he's got some serious chops in that range, but if you talk to him about, uh, load calcs, him and John both, they're just really good about that sort of thing. And we're all just chickens is what it comes down to. Oh, I know what it was. So Neil put an Echo B in at his house. Mm-hmm. And actually he just put a new heat pump in his house last week. He did a one and a half ton with no backup on oddly enough, a 2000 square foot, two story house. Like we're discussing, I think it's 2100. I think I've seen his post. Was that a, was that a Mitsubishi hyper heat or something like that? Yep, yeah. I, yep. I saw, I saw a post like that, that he, that he posted. And I think he was asking for, for bets who's who's betting that it's going to work or something like that yeah yeah so okay. he's cheating because he knows so about three years ago that uh, was when he was working at the the hvac company that he was working at before um uh, he had access to Rightsoft and a whole bunch of other things and so he put an echo beyond and he watched his system run on a design day, which his design temp of memory serves as 17 Fahrenheit. So I don't know, minus 10, 12 Celsius. Um, and it, it shut off at design with a two and a half ton, uh, single stage heat pump that was putting out about two tons at that temperature. Okay. Because uh, you know heat pumps, obviously they lo- most of them lose some output as the temperature goes down. Gotcha. Um, you know the hyperheats can game it to a degree, but you get it cold enough, and they all start falling at some point. Uh, but uh, he figured out that he only needed twenty or twenty-two thousand BTUs to heat his house at design. That one and a half ton unit puts out twenty or twenty thousand, twenty-two thousand BTUs at design temperature. Nice. Um, so he's cheating. He so already that was, knows. So that was his house. That, that was his yes. house. Okay. That's his house. So right. it's built in early eighties, so it was 82, 84, something like that. 2000 mm-hmm. square feet. Um, so, I mean, it, nothing exotic in construction. Yeah. Um, and in Virginia, it was a, you know, two ton house. If you want to extend the warranty period past the OEM warranty period for your customers, there's a product for that that JB Warranties offers. That is their business. They offer extended warranty programs. So what you do is you reach out to them, give them the equipment, obviously, and all the information, 
get them on an extended warranty plan. They offer labor reimbursement, okay, 14-day turnaround time on claims, and they work with a ton of people within the industry. So check them out. So Company Cam is an app that puts all of your job pictures, files, notes, everything all in one. So if I create a job and I want to keep keep in touch with everybody that's on that job or look into it like later on in the future, we can do that by creating a job, take photos, they all land in the cloud right in that job. You can do voice notes, which is pretty cool, and you can also do video now. So you can have an array of notes, written notes, voice notes, videos, and images all tagged into one job. So you can go back and look at it or look at it while the job's on the go or look at it with the customer to ensure certain things were done during the course of that job. So it's pretty cool. Check out Company Cam. Uh, Blue On, guys. Blue On has been creating tech support that is accessible to the HVAC industry now for a while. They got a bunch of techs online. It's not just a couple anymore. They got a bunch of them. They still got the average like two two minute wait time if you call through the app if you need some tech support and they got their app that's free they got their form on there they got a bunch of unit manuals so on and so forth so if you're looking if you're looking for tech support guys just check out blue on and testo i demoed a couple of anemometers the other week and rotating vane hot wire anemometer and these things are very important in the field if you want to measure any type of airflow but you got to know how to use them properly so just before you pick one up and start just using it and waving it in front of a grill do some research do some digging make sure you're using that tool properly and looking up things like grill uh, free area and correction factors and stuff like that that you may have to input into the app when you're using those tools so check them out everything guys true tech tools most of the stuff I talk about is available at True Tech Tools with the promo code KNOWITALL to save 8% off of your purchase. I might as well talk a little bit about this house because this is a manufactured home. It's uh, it, you, The nice phrase is a manufactured home. The not nice phrase is a double wide. Um, but it was in our price range to buy something here. It came with five acres. It doesn't look like a manufactured home. Uh, and uh, it, the load on this place, because I have a Bosch heat pump on this, um, is pushing three tons, even though it's not a very big house. It's 1,150 square feet. Um, but I've watched the system run. And so I kind of know where it is. And there's uh, there's a bunch of stuff I have to do. The crawl space in this place is really messed up. And uh, it had really weird windows with like interior storms. So we took them out. Mm-hmm. So it has single pane windows and an uninsulated crawl space. Um, so the load's super high. Once yeah. I fix the crawl space and the windows, I'm going to knock at least a ton out of the load of this place. Yeah. Um, uh, but I wasn't afraid to put a heat pump in because I had an idea of where it was going to be. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, can so, we, can we, can we talk about blower door testing for a minute? And then I want to talk about HVAC 2.0 and, and get the, uh, maybe get the audience on board because I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot more residential techs out there than there is commercial just because obviously there's more of a market for residential because there's so many more houses than there is commercial buildings right so there's such a large market there and and i think a lot of people are missing out on on what they could be doing for the right the right customer that really wants to to fix things Mm -hmm. properly right so blower door testing just for a couple minutes describe to us what it is in 
and we're going to have Sam on in a couple of weeks from Retro Tech, so don't steal too much of his thunder. <laughs> but just a couple minutes on what a blower door test is and, and the advantage we can we can get from it. Got it. So I'm glad you're having Sam on because uh, he's just crazy uh, smart on all that stuff. Um, but a, a blower door, it's basically a big fan that you put in a front door. Yep. So there's a shroud that you put in the door that has about a two foot um, uh, hole in the bottom of it. And the fan go, fits into that. Um, and then it has a manometer that measures the pressure both inside and out. And then it knows how fast the fan is running to be able to determine um, what the air leakage of the house is. So it, okay. it has enough information. I don't fully understand, frankly, like... I, I know there's calculations and stuff, but I don't really need to understand. So I'll just call it magic and it's fine. Uh, you can ask Sam if he's willing to, you know, show you behind the curtain. Uh, but in any case, it measures how much a building leaks. And that's a really key number to understand. Because uh, like I said, with, with air leakage alone, I can swing the load calculation of a house 20, 30, 40, 50,000 BTUs one way or yeah. the other. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, what's the right size if the load somewhere between 24,000 and a hundred thousand BTUs, who knows? Um, like, let's just guess because that's really the, the best thing we can do. Um, so if you know the blower door of a house and you have some idea how it's insulated, and then particularly if you also know the energy use of the house, you can take that, uh, that range of uncertainty from plus or minus 30 or 40,000 BTUs, which is, you know, that's an entire piece of equipment, basically, if you're talking heat pumps. Um, you can take that from plus or minus 30 or 40,000 BTUs to plus or minus three or five. And at that point, you know, you're, you're within a half ton. Uh, like you can decide what piece of equipment you need. So equipment selection gets way easier at that point. Yeah, of course it does. Well, yes, yes, it does because now you know what to size it for as far as infiltration. But when we drew, when we do our blower door testing, we're going to go around with a thermal imager, right, and and mm -hmm. capture where this infiltration's happening, right? Exactly. And then it's up um, to the customer at that point whether they say, "Hey, let's go fix all this stuff and then redo the blower door test," or size me on the current infiltration I have, right? Correct. And what what do you in in what scenario like do you find that they go for? Um, I guess, depending on cost, but what do you see them do more fix the stuff, redo the test and then size or size according to what the first test showed? It's generally size according. Yeah. Um, but if you have an idea where the actual load on the house is, if we have that 67,000 BTU man, J, it's not going to be hard to talk them into the 60 instead of the 80. Mm -hmm. So if they tighten the house, it's probably still going to be the right piece of equipment. I mean, it's if you put a gun to my head, I'm going to tell you do a hybrid with a three ton heat pump on top of a 60,000 BTU furnace because it'll work for like 90% of houses out there. It may not be perfect, but it'll work. Um, and so what you want to understand is it, where's the house now and where could the house easily be? And is that a different piece of equipment? And if so, are they thinking they want to make improvements or are they going to leave it? And then you leave it on them to decide which one they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's one, one example of uh, what we call an HVAC 2.0, responsibly avoiding responsibility. 
Um, I mean, have, have you ever touched a piece of equipment and something went wrong with it that had absolutely nothing to do with you all the time, but, but it was your fault. Oh, of course. Of course it is. How would you like to get rid of at least half that problem? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like the, the classic consumer behavior is, uh, well, in, in sales in general, they will come to you, pump you for a whole bunch of information and then try and leave you in the lurch. Like, oh, you're the nicest salesman I've ever worked with, blah, blah, blah. Well, you didn't buy anything. Um, and then they take your price to somebody else and say, can you do this cheaper? Um, if you get, if you basically give them the specification of what they need to do, yeah, then they'll go shop the specification. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the same thing happens if like it's really easy to get pressured into a job where like they'll push you to go down a level in equipment, but still basically guarantee that a result will happen. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, But what we've developed is a process that helps you get out of that sticky wicket. Like every time that's HVAC 2.0. That's, that's a piece of it. So HVAC 2.0, it's, it's really, it's kind of a giant thing. Um, uh, it's funny. Have have you seen the, the, the picture or or heard the story of a bunch of blind men walking up to an elephant and one guy touches the, uh, one guy touches the leg and it's like, it's a tree. Um, another guy touches the trunk and says it's a hose. Um, someone else touches the tail and calls it something else. Um, uh, you know, there's, if, if you can't see the whole elephant and you don't know what an elephant is, um, it's very easy to be confused about what it is. So the, the curse of 2.0 is it has a whole bunch of different facets. Um, but fundamentally, and uh, hopefully I can say this in a way that doesn't come off repulsive because uh, it's fundamentally a sales process, but it's a sales process where if you ever feel like you're selling, you're doing it wrong. And what this process lets you do is solve basically any problem that a homeowner is going to come to you for as an HVAC guy, um, predictably and profitably. So how does, how does it like, how does it work? Like what is, what is a basic, what is, if, if I, let's say t- tomorrow, I'm like, I'm going to get HVAC 2.0. Cause I got this customer with a bunch of issues. Mm-hmm. How am I going to put HVAC 2.0 to work to figure these issues out? It's a good question. So let me start with a, a medical analogy of sorts. So imagine a hundred kids go to the school nurse. 70 of them are probably going to get, you know, a Band-Aid, an ibuprofen, you know, something like that and sent back to class. You know, they, they need minimal treatment. Yeah. Um, let's say the other 30 have something that's wrong. And so they need to take an ambulance ride to the hospital. Most of those kids are going to get treated pretty quickly in the operating room. You know, say they have to set a bone um, or, you know, fix some other thing. Uh, but, but most of them you know, with relatively easy diagnosis and treatment are fixed. But then let's say of those 30 that go, there's three that are really sick. And now they have to go to the ICU, the intensive care unit. Um, so does that, that make sense in your mind thinking about that? So 70 don't need much, yeah, yeah. 30, 30 need a meat wagon ride. And most of the meat wagon kids just need simple treatment more or yeah. less like yep. simple yep. hospital treatment. Um, so let's compare that to a hundred homes that need new HVAC. 70 of them, you can probably do basically a free quote 
no real diagnosis, basically change the equipment like for like and move on with life because the clients probably don't have anything that they really want to fix. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I just want a furnace. Okay. I'll sell you a furnace. Um, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, so there's two forks that come here. So if you think about, you know, going to the school nurse, uh, 70% of them are going to go free quote because uh, they don't have any problems. So we ask what we call the four questions, which are, are there any rooms that don't heat well? Are there any rooms that don't cool well? Does anybody have any respiratory health issues, asthma or allergies? And then are there any moisture problems with the house? Is there mold? Do you have bugs? Um, a bunch of other things like that. And we, it's not a yes, no. We have them answer on a scale of zero to 10. Um, so if they answer all low, do a free quote. Like you're just going to get a new piece of equipment, whatever. Um, so those are the kids that would be sent back to class. Um, and that would be a simple HVAC replacement. Okay. Now the other 30 have problems they want to fix. And so that's where you go to what we call a comfort consult. And there's a blower door test that's involved there. Um, and the blower door test, we, we've talked about how much the blower door affects loads. And then if you have a room that has double the, the heating and cooling load of other rooms per square foot, uh, you want to understand what that is. And so the blower door test, you can do something called zonal. Uh, which it it's called zonal pressure diagnostics is the, the, the fancy name for it. It's really simple in practice. You have the blower door running, you pull the, the gauge, the manometer off, and you walk up to any room in the house that has a door and you throw the hose underneath the door and you measure the pressure difference. Um, so uh, like blower doors, the standard pressure for residential is 50 Pascals, um, forget what it works out to be in inches of water column. Um, it's like an inch or something like that, or two inches. Uh, but uh, it, if you're depressurizing the house to 50 Pascals, if you get any reading that says zero, it's all the way inside the house. If you get any reading that's 50, it's all the way outside the house. And so like uh, you, you probably have Cape Cod type homes where you go upstairs and they've got sloped ceilings. Uh, and then like short walls, like four or five foot tall walls. Um, Cape I've, Cod's bungalows. Yeah, we got we got bungalows. Yep. yep. There you go. So bungalow, yeah, it's different words. It's construction. So there's five words for everything. So we can all be confused, even though we're talking about the same <laughs> Yeah, thing. no kidding. Um, <laughs> it's awful. Uh, you mean the thingamajig? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we were doing good with pop and drywall. So we, I, I, we, got, we had to slip up somewhere. <laughs> There you go. Different parts of the country, different countries. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, so like the second floor of a Cape Cod or bungalow is typically 50% connected to outdoors. So that means uh, between that zero and 50, it'll come in at 25 Pascals. So it's, it's half in, it's half out, which means it's crazy leaky. So if you have a high total leakage on the house and then the second floor tests really leaky, most of the leakage is in that second floor. You can infer that. Um, you can do further tests to find out exactly how much it is, but you, you have an idea. Um, so that means that the second floor is going to have substantially higher heating and cooling load, particularly cooling load, um, than the first floor. So by doing the blower door test, understanding how leaky the house is, and then understanding which rooms leak the most, you can understand um, the answer to the second question, 
of 2.0. So the first one is, do you have any problems to solve? And that, that forks you either to a free quote or the comfort consult. And the second question is, is HVAC alone likely to solve the problem? And if the house is leaky and you have a couple of rooms that are particularly leaky, HVAC alone's not going to solve the problem. It might blunt it, but it won't solve it. Yeah. Um, and so that's what you need to understand. Um, so basically the comfort consult, the easiest way to think of it is, have you ever had an energy audit at your house? No. Your program? No. Okay. Um, so lots of utilities do energy audits and really a good audit is, it's a lot of work. I mean, a good energy audit should cost at least $2,000. It really should. Um, where you get a complete understanding of what's wrong with the house, um, a complete understanding of what the likely paths are to fix it and what those likely paths cost so that you can begin to make decisions of what to do. Um, it's a lot of work to really do a good job, but the comfort consults, basically the first half of an energy audit. So it, it, Another way to look at it is it's like a physical. So when you go to the doctor for a physical, they're going to be, you know, taking your blood pressure, taking your wet, uh, your, your weight, um, doing turn your head and cough, you know, all that sort of thing. And if they don't find anything unusual, they're like, okay, well, we'll see you next year. If they do find something unusual, they, they send you for more tests, right? Um, so the comfort consults kind of like that physical where it's like, all right, do we need to go further or not? If we need to go further, we can do more diagnostics. If we don't, um, we just change your equipment and we move on with life. But now we have sized your equipment correctly. We understand what your problems are. We'll choose different equipment and different options. We may do some duct renovations. Um, we may do some minor air sealing possibly. Um, you know, maybe we'll seal in the basement or something like that where it's easy and inexpensive to get to. Um, but, uh, what this lets you do is you've got those, those hundred houses showing up. Most of them just get a simple replacement, but when they need something harder, you have a path for the, the medium difficulty houses. And then, uh, you have a path for the really high difficulty houses. So the high difficulty houses, the intensive care unit, uh, we call that the comprehensive planning process. And that's the full audit, and then pretty large projects. The projects usually run between thirty and seventy thousand dollars, so they're they're pretty big. Um, and I don't know how many of the HVAC two point guys are going to end up really running the deeper projects, but if you can scope it and uh, give it to an insulation contractor and do a bit of project management, you could do that. But for the most part, what we're seeing is. The, of of a hundred leads that come through, um, it, most are just ending up with HVAC replacement, but they're getting very customized HVAC. And what it ends up doing is increasing closing ratios. So you're you're going to sell a lot more jobs per quote, and the job sizes are going up because they're buying better equipment and they're buying add-ons. Um, so you know how we were talking about uh, how you get blamed for stuff that isn't your fault. Yeah it really helps reduce that sort of thing. Gotcha. So it creates far better relationships with customers because rather than them dumping responsibility on your shoulders, um, you either share responsibility or if you lay out options for them and you pro and con them and you, you put odds of success of various options on them mm -hmm. and they choose poorly, yeah. who owns the results? Well, obviously it's them there is because you've educated them on the, this, this whole process. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, but to do all of that, you have to educate them and you have to do it in a careful metered way, step by step. 
um, and figuring out exactly how to do that. And so keep in mind, it's not just sales process. This is built on building science as well. So mm-hmm. technically, this thing holds together really, really well. And it also lets you walk into any house confidently and know that you can solve any problem that any client has. Mm-hmm. So is there a cost for this? For, to the, yes. To, okay. So so yeah. what is what is the cost for it? Uh, it's a monthly subscription. It's going to be changing as time goes on. Um, uh, but the, the first pieces are there's onboarding to do. The first little piece of onboarding is free. The next piece has a charge. And then you move into uh, the monthly subscription, which currently is $500 to start and 100 bucks a month. Um, it's not going to stay that low for very long as we add a few more pieces to it. Um, but we're seeing, I mean, like Reedy Ward, one of our uh, guys, he lives in North Carolina. He got 50%, sorry, thir- a third less leads last year. And because of 2.0, his uh, sales numbers actually stayed the same, which means he was selling 50% more average. So his income didn't take a hit because of this, despite, you know, COVID really throwing things off. And then, well, he, he got it and he was down for the count for a month. Um, so, uh, we're seeing these really nice business results while people are enjoying their relationship with their clients much more, and they're able to solve problems that previously they had no idea how to deal with. All right, guys, that's a wrap. So building performance, home performance, if you guys want to learn more, just start Googling, start reading, start watching videos. And it's a niche that's ever growing. And there, I don't think there's enough industry players that are capturing the market in their area right now. So if you want to do something that's out of the norm special, you want to really hone in on the sciences of this trade and and this industry, you have a chance to do it because all the tools are at your fingertips. And one of them is HVAC 2.0. So thanks Nate guys, but got to run. I'm out. Thank you to the master group. Once again, happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC know it all on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.